0: Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are the three guys who actually are under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Okay, it's episode 82 for April 12th, 2011. On today's show, we will not be discussing what saws a beginning woodworker really needs. We did that twice in the past two shows. Uh, But we will talk about, well, a weird thing, but certainly timely, taxes. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the future of woodworking as well as a buttload of content from the magazines, blogs, and forums, and I do want to make a a special note here that we are not live, so if you're listening to this on your iPod or on your computer or on the website, you did not miss a live session. We are trying this, we're we're sort of having a little private moment between the three of us and uh, seeing how this goes without a live audience. Pillow talk. Yeah, a little pillow talk.
1: Matt I finally feel like we're together. That's what's nice. It's
0: a private moment. It's very nice. But before (laughs) we get into all the nitty-gritty and all that good stuff, Matt, can you tell them how they can get in touch with us?
1: Absolutely. As always, You know, there are different ways you can get a hold of us. One of the ways is not live right now, so don't worry about it, as Mark mentioned at the beginning there. But if you have a comment, question, or a suggestion about something that you've heard in today's show, or maybe something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, either live or Intimate like we're doing right now. Uh, you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail on our voicemail at 623-242-5180. Of course, you can Skype us on our very own Skype line, which is Wood Talk Online. You can find all three of us on Twitter as at RenaissanceWW for Shannon, at Wood Whisperer for Mark, and at MBW Podcast for Matt. Look for us on Facebook and especially head on over to the forum at woodtalkonline.com because, as I've mentioned before, one or all three of us are usually kicking around someplace on there. Or once in a while, I think I've been kicked off. I think <laughs> it was just yeah. one.
0: It was just one time, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wanted. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. It was I <laughs> didn't mean to do what i did but it just happened you crossed the line that's all
2: <laughs> you were young you needed <laughs> the money yeah <laughs> exactly.
1: that's the story of my life but <laughs> i'm no longer young after this week yeah that birthday is going to be kicking my butt pretty soon i'm already looking at, like i think i said this before my midlife crisis I'm, i've got a list i'm narrowing it down um and i'm really trying to decide what is going to work best for me mm-hmm. um so a I whole, be taking that's a
2: whole other show what does the woodworker do at a wood for a midlife crisis he buys a corvette it, do you just still over- buy
1: a Corvette? <laughs> you just don't put the table saw in the back of it or bring lumber home in it. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: right. It just, it just
1: has a laser and soft start. That's right. And one thing for sure, you don't put a bench in there. And with that said, I say we head on over to what's going on on the bench. And Shannon, why don't you kick that off for us? What do you have going on over on your bench?
2: That was an awesome Or laying set. on your bench. He's good. On.
0: He's good with the segues.
2: I have, um, well, I'm still working on this uh, hand tool school final project, the tool cabinet. I'm actually dovetailing together cherry carcasses. Is the plural of carcass carcasses? need to Ask a coroner that. <clears throat> but it's. I, I was. Uh, I was editing some video last night, and uh, I. I have 125 board feet of cherry. Um, I don't need all that for this. I only need like 50 board feet of cherry for this. But I. I got the whole pack um, when I got the cherry, and I have it like spread out around the shop because I was trying to figure out you know, piece boards together for color and grain pattern and all that. And where's the sapwood? And and I just laid them up against the wall and it's like the coolest shot ever. It's like <laughs> I'm standing amongst walls and walls of cherry. It's like <laughs> woodworker's heaven. Nice. And and I'm standing here at the bench and I'm dovetailing together carcasses and there's just it, – it, imagine just paneling your shop and rough sawn cherry. That's what it looked what, like. It was cool. What I'm seeing is you now have – the the, the sight of what it would be like if
1: you were the wood nymph that was living in the tree before it was cut down.
0: <laughs> the poor little wood nymph whose <laughs> whose who's home you destroyed apparently. <laughs> right. I,
2: I don't know. I think I'm just gonna change the name of my podcast to the wood
0: nymph.
2: <laughs> oh man. Anyway, how it. about you, Matt? What's on your bench?
1: Uh well right now um the plywood just arrived for the build that I was talking about last week. We have a nice set of uh, pretty much a, an entire wall of uh, bookshelves that's coming up. And I was watching a video by this guy named the Wood Whisperer, and I saw him mm. uh, ripping some uh, plywood for a cart that he was building. And it was funny because I was thinking, I've got the same exact plywood. Mine looks identical to that. <sighs> nice. And you know, the funny thing is, again, we, we've talked about this numerous times on our, on our various shows, and of course here on Wood talk online when it comes to buying a really good plywood it's insane it's just unbelievable how much of a difference there is to it and i did pretty much the the, the same thing as i i think what you mentioned in in your episode mark where you, it was this idea of using uh not exact a, a shop grade plywood right yeah and, and it, the stuff i looked at 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 the home center to be honest with you had some the veneer looks a little bit nicer but again i'm going to be painting this so i'm not too worried about it but the plies and the overall construction of this plywood is just there's no comparison there whatsoever. In fact, the freshest stuff at the home center right now, the stuff that is still bundled, you know, they've, they've got the straps on it, it's still sitting up on top. They're waiting for the old stuff to get out of the way and bring that one down. You can already see it's starting to kind of take that potato chip form. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they've still got the packing straps on it. So, you know, I, I'm, I've i got about a week before I'm really going to have a chance to to go gung-ho on this thing and start ripping it down. And even though we had a major weather fluctuation this weekend in Michigan. I mean, we went from like 40 degrees to 70 within like about 24, 36-hour period. Wow. This stuff's been sitting out in my garage, and it has yet to even have a look like it's going to begin to ripple. And I know if I brought home that home center stuff, I would be like, you know, looking at ruffles right now all over the place. It'd be insane.
0: It's as soon as you get it unpacked and it's not like sandwiched between two other pieces and it's, you know, sort of losing moisture from all sides – they mm-hmm. just—I mean—they just warp like crazy, you know. It and uh, it, just a few bucks more, and, and sometimes it's actually about the same price when it comes down to it. You—you uh, yep. can, you can get even just the shop grade ply from a good dealer, and it's a night and day difference.
2: Yeah, and, and, and this that's oh go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was doing some research on plywood grading the other day at work for mm-hmm. a, an upcoming blog post. And you can't even find the home center plywood on those grading
0: charts. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I'm,
2: I'm serious. I was looking through it thinking, you know, shop grade plywood is still really good quality stuff. And you're like looking down for, you know, D faces, E faces, F faces, G, H. And it's like, where's the Home Depot Lowe's stuff? It's not even I
0: mean, it's it's just crap that's the stuff that's the stuff that falls off the truck while they're on their way uh, somewhere else (laughs) it's in a
1: league all its own basically is what you're saying
0: yeah Mm -hmm. that's crazy wow
1: yeah that's that that's pretty much the the big thing going on for my the only other fun part about the plywood was um apparently i wasn't home when it was delivered and the uh guy that was supposed to take it off apparently the regular guy was gone so i got a phone call from my wife going um Did you make any arrangements? Because uh, this guy looks like he's about to die. In fact, apparently he was the retired yard guy. They brought him in for the day. He called ahead and basically was like, I really hope you have somebody there because I can't move this stuff. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So so I owe my neighbor a uh, six pack right now. John, thanks a lot for all the help. I'll get you back. Um, Never. So um, I really appreciate the assistance. (laughs) He needs a
0: he needs a gorilla gripper.
1: There you go. I never thought about that because I'm probably going to get another load of plywood somewhere in the future. And there's a good chance that, you know, John, the retired yard man, will be the one who will want John, my neighbor, to take it off there the truck you go. for him.
0: Dude, you got, I mean, those things are great. If you guys start working with a lot of plywood and you need to move the sheets around, it seems a little gimmicky, but it works really, really well.
1: Nice. They got those, that pretty that. little clamp on it too so it doesn't do anything to the wood.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got that little rubberized coating on the inside, Gorilla Gripper. Awesome stuff. Sweet. It's kind so of nice that's, spokes model. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't even seen any commercials for that. I guess they stopped like the heavy-duty promotion of that, but those those commercials were good. Yeah. Uh, yeah I I barely
1: remember <laughs> what the thing looked like other than the spokesperson so anyway before I get myself in trouble let's move on to you Mark what do you have going on in your bench
0: Uh, a couple things it's you know still all about the shop these days I'm working on a cross cut sled today and I'm using some of this HDO plywood it's an inch and one eighth in thickness so it's pretty substantial but it's got that nice fiber overlay on both sides and it's uh, it's interesting stuff because it's like it's I won't say dead flat but pretty darn close and the material is not something I would have gone out and purchased, you know, like a full sheet of. This is just leftover stuff from my buddy Ron's CNC process. So I guess he had some that he used for a customer and he had all these offcuts. So I was like, well, you know, they're kind of oddly shaped. I guess I could use them for something. But I'm thinking, uh, you know, an auxiliary fence for the table saw, even the bandsaw, jigs. And of course, now I'm using it to do the. Um, uh, to do the crosscut sled, so the fences now have this, you know, very hard material, and I, I think that's one thing that bothers me about a lot of jigs. Sometimes, if you make them with all wood materials, it's got a certain softness to it that doesn't feel quite as good as when you're using a metal or a plastic jig. When you yeah. are, you know, you go to register something onto a piece of wood, it just doesn't feel quite as secure as when it's registering off of metal and plastic. So. Um, so this surface just feels, I feel more confident in it and I think I'm just gonna, when it's all said and done, have a better product uh, in this crosscut sled that's gonna last a lot longer. Um, so, But it's my first time working with this stuff so it was kind of interesting and at uh, an inch and an eighth, it's almost like when you look at the cross section, the plies are like an eighth of an inch thick each. So it it just looks like, like when you're holding it, it looks like I just got a little tiny hand and I'm holding a regular piece of plywood. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you took the picture just the right way, it would look exactly like that. Uh, Which reminds me of an SNL skit that was on this weekend, but that's a little dirty. I won't talk about that. Um, anyone who saw it knows what I'm talking about oh yeah that was a good one (laughs) okay so um, the other thing I'm working on is well I just finished up the the last details on the finishing book and that is ready to go to print and EPUB format and it'll be well I don't know exactly when it's going to be done probably will be released when the printing is done uh, but, so wait,
2: you're you're printing it too? I thought you were going entirely ebook.
0: We were going to do that, but then we realized that a lot of people want a tangible book, so we're going to get a small run of uh you know hard hard cover you know good quality um you know standard book that I'll be able to sign my name or not should they prefer me not sign it. Um, but it, we figured we had to, you know, plus it's the first time I've written anything that could even be remotely referred to as a book and it just would be nice to have, you know, something a little more official than just, uh, than just the actual document on the computer. So
1: I'd sure. like to be able to put that up on the bookshelf and look at it and go, I knew him when, yeah,
0: I'll send, when... you, I'll send you a complimentary one, Matt, just for you. Oh,
1: thanks. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, you want to make sure that it's not he too sturdy it, though.
1: though. Yeah, no. I'm, okay. I'm not I'll just it.
0: forge the name on there. In fact, <laughs> it looks like the same one I have. You sign it and then send it back to me. There you we go. We'll do that. Um, so yeah, we're, I'm I'm excited about that. It's it's new territory for me. I don't know what to expect in terms of like you know, I've never thrown something like that out there to to let people consume and and give me feedback on. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, the other thing is the design of the green and green Adirondack chair that I'm I'm sort of co-designing with Aaron Marshall. Uh, for the guild, and this is coming up for the build that we're just starting in May, which is probably going to be like mid-May, second week of May-ish, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We're we're taking some traditional green and green elements and a standard Adirondack chair and sort of morphing them together so that it just becomes this, you know, this this new entity in and of itself. And I I know I've seen a few in the past, but uh, Shannon, you and I were talking about this before that I'm trying to avoid any influences of previous attempts at, at making a green and green Adirondack chair. Because <laughs> yeah, I, well,
2: I mean, the Adirondack chair itself. I mean, talk about a form that's been beaten
0: to yeah, death. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it's like. I, I'd love to build one. I just don't want to build your traditional standard uh, the standard chair, and the cool thing is that we're doing with this is we're going back to the original patents uh, for the original Adirondack chair, or what the the modern nice. Adirondack chair was was derived from. And there's actually quite a few differences. So we we went back to that and used that as our starting point uh, for for creating a template to then incorporate some green and green into it. So, um, cool. and, yeah. So we'll have a little history lesson on on where it all came from and how we arrived at the design that we have now. So. Um, and of course, if people don't want to build the Adirondack or the uh, Green and Green style version, we're going to provide you know a much more simplistic version that doesn't have all the uh, Green and Green elements in it. Um, but we're having a blast designing it. It's a, a good good example of how. In today's day and age, how things you know collaborative efforts like this can actually be done really well. We we get on Skype, we do a little video chat back and forth, uh, we do a little SketchUp back and forth, and, and we meet for about ten or fifteen minutes a week and go through the details. And when it's all said and done, we're gonna have this beautiful plan. It's uh, kind of a, a cool way to use the technology. Very nice. That is That's pretty awesome. sweet. So that's about it uh, for me. And uh, hopefully I'll be building regular projects and not, you know, I'm kind of getting, the shop projects, remember I think last time I talked about it being like therapeutic me time. Right. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done with the me time. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just like build some actual projects now. So,
1: Mark is back to liking Mark. It's good. We can move forward. Yeah, I'm fully
0: recovered. Uh, time to move on now. So, all right. Well, uh, that's that's about it for me. So, what are we what are we on here? The magazine roundup. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Round it up. We need a sound effect with like cowboys and and horses. Yeah.
2: It's time to open them magazines. <laughs> there you go. And we have one, apparently, all right
0: <laughs> all right
1: I'll forget then. that one for the next episode. i'll have to listen to
0: it again. I'm just gonna cut it out and use it uh okay. all right, Shannon, you got one on here?
2: yeah, um, I've been playing around with spray finishing for i don't know I guess it's been about eight months now since I bought my Erlex, and basically anything and everything that comes around with spray finishing I consume with with just vigor. And gusto. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) what do you know, uh, latest fine woodworking magazine showed up in my mailbox a couple days ago, I think. And, um, there is uh, an article in there on switch to spraying water-based finishes, which is also of particular interest to me because mostly what I've been spraying up till now has been, uh, shellac. So alcohol-based. And I've been wanting to try something like Endurovar quite a bit. And the more I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking, you know, what it might be kind of a good idea to have like a separate um almost a separate gun mm-hmm. for the non water based and for the water based stuff. And then uh so I, I ended up getting a second gun. And I haven't sprayed any water based stuff through it yet. it's it. a <laughs> so second gun that hasn't been used yet. So I'm really need to get my button gear and do that. But it was interesting. Um I think, Mark, it might have been a guild session we had a while ago where mm-hmm. we had um oh shoot. We had like a finishing expert on and he was talking about water based oh, finishes. Dresner and- Yes, yes. yes okay and he was just saying water-based finishes are kind of silly and you know it was it was quite comical but it was well, I interesting think was a little bit more opinionated than that than if I remember right it was, fair, it was, just was. It was
0: fair to <laughs> say was. that he was not a fan he was right? not a of water-based finishes
2: but this latest article in fine woodworkings um, by Terry Masachi, and I got it was interesting because it was almost the same perspective um, he likes water-based finishes in this but it was the same perspective of a guy who is a professional finisher. And has been for many, many years, and is very kind of quote old school. Yeah. Um, he calls himself a lacquerhead, I think. Um, is it? So, isn't it a she? You know, I could be totally.
0: Isn't Terry a woman?
2: Oh, Shannon, it's, you didn't just pull awful. that off, did you? I did, didn't I? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm just, awful. I'm just double checking. I've never met him or her, but I'm a, I, I always assume Terry. And you don't, you know, to to get you off the hook, they never really show her in a way that you could tell. One yeah, way or the other, know. whether it's male or female, but... and in the about the contributor section, I don't see a section on him/her. Boy, we're going to get
1: we're going to get nailed I, I, for this one. And we, oh, we'd well. like to thank you all for stopping in for our first private session of Wood Talk Online. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a historical moment. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll
2: just drop the use of pronouns. So I guess, I Terry guess I could, uh... talks a lot about how Terry sprays. <laughs> anyway, the original point being, there's this this general tone of. I am a professional finisher. I've always used, you know, the the bad for you stuff, the highly volatile solvents and things like that. And here's a look at water-based finishing. And it wasn't like, oh my God, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. They've completely remade them. They're absolutely wonderful. I mean, there was an element of reality and they're saying, yay, it's no lacquer, you know, but um, here's what's happened. Here's how things have changed. And here's why they make a really uh, viable finish mm-hmm. so it w- it was interesting it was a very honest article in my opinion which i think is is kind of different because you're used to seeing people like whole hog
0: for something yeah it's either all really... good or yeah they're, they're in favor of one thing or the other
2: yeah so it was a couple of really good points anybody who is is um interested in spraying water-based finishes and wants to kind of know what to avoid and a couple of really good tips on there on on everything from uh you know setting up your gun and straining the the finish going into it and um how to treat it between coats um it was
0: very it was a good article so cool. kudos to fine Sweet. woodwork sounds good um let me see I'm next okay this one I know is by a guy and it's uh, also in fine woodworking well the bottom line is it's pretty clear that fine woodworking came in late and that's uh that's what we all are referring to now. How to make what is it? How to make thick, light tabletops? It's an article by Brian Sargent, and uh, you know this this is good stuff. This is you see a lot of times with um, just really unique designs and modern designs. You might see a really thick tabletop or a and like an impossible design in the grain patterns that's done with the veneers, and you go, "Geez, how do they get that so thick?" And if it was really you know solid wood or even sandwiched plywood you'd be talking about a structure that would be incredibly heavy and difficult to support. So Mm -hmm. this article goes into details on how you can use that honeycomb uh, resin impregnated material to sort of create what essentially would be a torsion box where the honeycomb is the support in the center and you basically put a solid wood frame around the outside and a couple layers of MDF or you could probably get away with ply and then you could veneer this whole thing but it acts like a solid piece you know, and you've actually got substantial material on the outside edge that you could probably even you know profile to some extent if you wanted to. Um, But I thought it was great for for giving an inexpensive way to create a nice foundation for good thick tops that aren't super heavy and don't require a whole lot in the way of expensive materials. Uh, So certainly worth a read and especially if you're getting into veneering and you want to have some flexibility with your designs, uh, certainly something that's uh, worth a read.
1: Very nice. Yeah, good stuff. Sweet. All right. and, and, of course, as you mentioned, uh, mine also comes from the latest issue of Fine Woodworking. And this one's referred to, the, the article's called Case Closed. And it's how to use off-the-shelf hardware to close cabinet doors in style. Again, I, I think so many woodworkers, um, I, I know myself, we, we start out with a lot of stuff that we just run to the local home center and grab these things right off the shelf where possible. Oftentimes because if, there anybody's, like, if anybody's like me, you, you kind of forget to look ahead and maybe plan for a few <laughs> things. So uh, rather than going through my catalogs and maybe looking for very, very specific items, I suddenly go, oh, my God, oh, my God, the pay- client's coming right now, and I got to get this stuff out there. What can I do to make it look nice uh, ahead of time? Well, not ahead of time, in the next 10 minutes. Um, and so we have, uh, I believe it's uh, four, or no, it's three or four guy uh, editors here, or contributing editors. Um, make sure, yeah, Steve Lotta, Garrett Hack, and Michael Fortune making sure i don't want to mm-hmm. hurt anybody's feelings there oh too late um, for that
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: shannon anyway, took care still... of that for
0: us <laughs> yeah,
1: you take a uh, uh like the first one starts out with steve talking about using the double ball catch um which is, is a really you know basic system when it comes down to it i mean basically you have a catch on the door that fits between um a, a little latch that it grabs a hold of it and the neat thing about this is Sometimes trying to get two pieces to line up exactly where you want them, it sounds really simple, but it gets tricky a few times. I mean, Really, you get the, the door lined up just the right way, and it always seems like when I bring the two of them together, I've made an adjustment somewhere along the line, and it doesn't quite fit the way I want it to, or my math skills apparently are a little bit off, and what should be one-eighth has now become... Um, like three sixteenths or uh, four sixteenths or five, six, seven, something like that. Right. So I'm off a little bit, but anyway, Steve shows a really quick and easy way to do this using nothing more than double stick tape to help line up the the mating pieces. Uh, you go on to Garrett, where he's using just a regular bullet catch and more or less explains how to set it up the right way. And more importantly, this is like one of those that everything would be. Uh, finished, you'd have all, all the, the the pieces ready to go, uh, you, you have your finish on there, whatever it is, and the last thing you want to do is mar it, which would be something I would totally do. <laughs> and so he shows how to get that fit the right way so it, it, it lines up exactly where you want it. You have Michael Fortune showing a rare earth magnet uh, system. In fact, I, I believe he Shows how he shop builds this particular closing system. So it gives you more options because you can build something that would go along with the existing design that you have. And it, it's really neat because rare earth magnets, I think are fantastic that you don't have a lot of working parts. Basically you have the metal that gets attracted to the magnet and they come together and you're happy schmappy. So that one's pretty nice. And then the last one again is Michael fortune and he's using uh spring loaded magnetic catches, which I don't know. That those are ones that I always seem to be. That's my go-to ones, and they can be the ugliest things in the world when they're just kind of hanging out there.
0: I was gonna say that's. I like the concept. I just don't like the way they look. I I, right. I never use them because of that reason. Right. But the neat
1: thing in this article is he shows a neat, a really different way to actually hide them, so you see really only like the. Uh, the magnets themselves you don't see the whole body because they are they're, they're hideous they're they're just the most ugly things in the world
0: yeah this is great man that's a that's ingenious just to kind of get rid of all that plastic body and just focus on the the action that you really need from it that's great
1: exactly yeah it's hidden out there and when you open it you never see it. it it all flows nicely and more importantly you could put it in a location where um, and, and this has happened to me, again, maybe poor design, I don't know, there seems to be a running theme with a lot of my projects <laughs> like that. But um, I end up knocking those uh, it, it, out of the way a little bit, so then suddenly I only have one latch catching, and it never seems to be the latch that I want. So, right. but you know, I, I I think this is a really neat article. Again, um, even if you're somebody who has a little bit of experience, just kinda of going back in and seeing these ideas, either it might help speed up your work a little bit or give you, in the case of Michael Fortune, the one that he has there, Just another option for using a really simplistic hardware.
0: Totally. Uh, You know, I got to say, that is one of the hardest things that I have to sort of have a personal battle with myself on every project is (laughs) when it's done and everything is like complete, the woodworking is done. Sometimes it's really difficult to slow down. And even though the project is finished and everything is, you know, to the average onlooker is complete, you still need to do something involving hardware, a door catch, uh, you know, something like that. And it's the hardest time to have patience in the project project. I don't know if you guys are like that too, but I fight myself constantly.
1: I noticed that on a couple of the builds, I think, uh, um, was it the uh, uh, the dresser that you built? Mm-hmm. There seemed to be an ongoing battle where you looked like you were in so much pain <laughs> and anxiety <laughs> to find the right poles for it. And yeah. unfortunately, I, I, I don't hardware. know. I, I, it's like with uh, uh, greeting cards for me. I just go in and go, yeah, this one works. And I can walk away and I'm happy <laughs> with it. So.
0: See, to me, I, I can't. like To me, the, the handles on something make such a bold statement. Or it, let's say it can make a very bold statement and can completely transform a piece. And that's why I'm always nervous about it it's like you know it's like getting a tattoo you know well, you got to really think about it before you make this thing permanent um, right but I find that that's like the hardest part of the project to be patient on is after the finish is applied everything is done and now you've got to get this thing you know precisely located in the right location so these you know articles like this I, I like it because it actually gives you a couple ideas uh, that might be worth putting that little extra effort in there to give you that one last piece to, to finish before the project is done You know, it's
2: interesting because I think I've actually gone the opposite direction where I've found like a cool piece of hardware and I built the piece around it. Yeah, yeah. And and I've got, there'll be weird places I've gone on vacation or whatever and you wander into an antique store and you see this like really cool porcelain or, you know, some different material Mm -hmm. hardware and I'll, I'll pick it up and it stays in like a drawer in my shop for years and then finally I make a piece entirely based around that um that piece of hardware,
0: right, right.
2: it's like that
1: that faucet commercial where the couple's walking through this architect's office and he's showing them all these amazing buildings he's done, and sits down. And he goes, "What can I build for you?" And the 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 wife pulls out the faucet, sets it down, and go, "A house around this." And he sits there and <laughs> stares at it. As soon as you mentioned that, was the first thing that popped in my head. I I never have that problem. In fact, with the walnut buffet that I just finished up, the most Anxious moment I had was when the client said, well, what hardware would you recommend? And there was that voice <laughs> in my head that said, why would I recommend anything? I, uh, what are you talking about? This is your piece. Why are you asking you me? tell me. <laughs> 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 would you recommend brushed nickel? Um, no. Why not?
0: I don't know. (laughs) Well, I threw that on my mom because I I did uh, two cabinets for this last build and I picked out the hardware for for the one that I'm keeping and I'm giving her the other one. And normally, I, I like to see a project top to bottom, you know, make every decision having to do with it. And on this one, I just kind of like... I mentally let go of it, and I was like, all right, well, there's no hardware, so here's the great news. You can go on the internet and pick your own hardware, and, and I'll install it for you.
1: So, <laughs> you know, that actually backfired on me uh, long before I ever started the show, <laughs> before any of this was going on, and I was uh, I built some pieces for my mom, and it was a sewing table and then this, this chest that went along with it. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, let me see, Aiden is now nine, so that was probably before he was born, and she still to this day cannot find knobs that she wants for it. Wow! So she, you can see where there's these like fingernail marks from her trying to pry it open <laughs> some of the drawers. And it, it I, I think that one maybe I will finally find something that'll work. I, I'm thinking porcelain knobs with duckies on the end of it or something.
2: <laughs> and in like a hundred years from now on antique roadshow, there'll be some guy saying, yeah, it looked like maybe somebody was chained and they couldn't open the door and these fingernails. And, you know, it's going to be some like horrible story of this person that, couldn't get the drawer open and scratch yeah. it open. <laughs> and there'll be
1: my signature on the back and they'll go, Oh, this explains everything.
0: Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh FYI, uh on Terry Masachi's website. Terry is one of only two women featured on the cover of Fine Woodworking magazine. Okay then. That answers that. And we apologize for um for Shannon. finally it's not apologizing for matt thank you you know
2: what's interesting is while this has been going on i've been like flipping through the magazine trying to find any reference i wonder if the editors of fine woodworking know because it seems like they like (laughs) very subtly avoided i mean there was there was no author bio and the little byline at the bottom says nothing along that line and and you're right the the photos they there's like a photo of like you know the back of her or something like that it's just very well in vocal. true fine, I apologize Terry
0: in true fine woodworking <laughs> you know style and fashion is to you know dil- I don't want to say dilute to run everything through the fine woodworking filter so it really doesn't matter who wrote the article because you can't exactly tell there's no personality it's fine woodworking uh and the person you know who actually wrote the article is an editor <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like everything is filtered through and and there's not much terry left when it's all said and done at
2: least and then again it is spelled with an i i probably should have picked up on that
0: you you should have anyway yeah. um let's move on to around the web and shannon you got a number of things here if you want to knock those out real quick i
2: dominated this section yeah you did yeah you did um, man <clears throat> well this is this is interesting um uh, I think I emailed you, Mark, as soon as I saw this. But mm-hmm. uh, Chris Pye, the um, world famous wood carver, has a membership site now. It's called Wood Carving Ooh. Workshops, and you know I I looked around at it. It's extraordinarily well done. Kudos to his web design firm because it's a very beautiful site. Um, very high production value on the videos that I could see. I did watch um, the sample lesson. And the audio was a little bit dicey there, but you know, frankly, you could understand everything he was saying. It just sounded like he was maybe a little too close to the uh to the lapel mic. How did person. the
0: video how did the video turn out? Because I know the welcome video, like you said, is insanely good quality, but I often wonder sometimes they pay a lot for that welcome video, but then every right. every other video is this is how it's really going to be. <laughs> you
2: know? Well, the one thing I'll say, and and you know, obviously Mark, you and I are a little bit biased as we run subscription sites ourselves, but yeah the The video that I saw and and I'll also preface this and say I can actually see myself becoming a member of this mm-hmm. when I have some free time to uh, do some more carving
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, when I find that free time the um, the videos are very short. Um, they have like a project and it'll be broken into like fourteen different videos that are anywhere from two to five minutes long. So my big concern is how much content, how much actual material can be covered in a short amount of time. At the same time, though, if they're really micro-focused on one particular task, which carving is, you know, a lot of very small little tasks, um, it could be very successful. I mean, Mm -hmm. Chris has been teaching wood carving for a long time. um, So he knows what he's talking about, which I think is what's truly exciting about this because, you know, not that... Well, Mark's more of a somebody than I am, but up until now, you know, the people that have ventured into this have really been kind of woodworking nobodies. Right. Um, and now we've got a real, you know, industry-hardened expert um, that has taken on this web mantle, which I think is really cool. I think it's a sign of things to come.
0: I do want. I do want to clarify that I I am absolutely a nobody. So oh, oh, we're talking about you. Yeah, (laughs) let's let's make make no mistake about that. (laughs) I can
1: totally vouch for that. That he is nobody. Well, what's
0: what's interesting about this is if you're gonna do this type of thing, and what makes this um, different, and I think I think you and I both have the same feeling, where if we're going to charge people money uh, and do something that is you know worth charging for, and hopefully is a good value for our our uh, viewers it's going to be long format and that's yeah. what makes it different because when you're doing this stuff on the free side of things and you're doing a free podcast that's really the home for the short form things to either market something or push you know push a technique or even try to get new you know subscribers to uh, whatever the paid version of something is so it is surprising to me that this is coming out of the gate paid and it's really in what i would consider your standard free podcasting format where it's it's a quick hit two or three minute, four minute video, and not so much the in-depth lesson that at least I think you and I are of the same mindset that most people are looking for when they're gonna pull their credit card out to pay for some right. content online. So it'll be interesting to see how well it does.
2: at the same time, with a name like Chris Pye behind it. And and again, you know, this could just be me, but I mean I have several of Chris's books. Mm-hmm. He is a world-renowned wood carver. So you know I, I suppose if somebody i mean if somebody like david marks were to do this people would pull out their wallet no matter what he put out there you know yeah. um that's why people paid what they paid for sam alive's rocking chairs there is a bit of a branding that goes on it so I, mean, I i mean i wish chris the best of luck um it it it's exciting it's good to see that somebody is tackling the wood carving thing sure you, yeah there's not, not that not much out see there it on my showing <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what Carrie, Not, not that's done what, well, anyway, but just put it that way. That's what Carrie is around for, right, to, to right, cover the exactly. carving.
2: <laughs> so then, moving on, in the last episode, I mentioned something about how um, the early reports on the anarchist tool chest by Christopher Schwartz were basically urging people not to use hanging tool cabinets, and I was bitter about that since I'm building a hanging tool cabinet. The um, Chris put out a blog post on Lost Art Press. Actually, I don't know when it came out. I just saw it for the first time today. But um, it's interesting because it sounds like this book, as he put it, there's a, a one-page PDF that you can download that basically if you want to build a tool chest, everything you need to know is on that one page. Um, if you're not inter- – and and you probably won't be really interested in the book because everything you need to know is on that one page. Mm. The rest of the book is kind of you know, philosophical um, – esoterica basically. So uh, it should be interesting. It sounds like Chris had an opportunity to kind of wax poetic a little in this entire book, which I don't know, kind of prompts me to want to buy it and read it a little bit more, frankly. It's one of the things I enjoyed about the Workbench's book is all the kind of the historical aspect of it. It was really kind of fascinating. So anyway, if you're interested in building a tool chest and want kind of an idea of what the anarchist tool chest is about, head over to Lost Art Press and you can download that little PDF. It's
1: pretty cool. Sweet. Looks good. You know, it was kind of funny because uh, I, I saw, uh, I think it was a blog post just before coming on tonight's episode. And uh, apparently uh, Chris was just kind of throwing something out there. It was more or less kind of a, I won't say a, a, a gotcha or anything, but he was kind of uh, talking about how his, when the Workbench uh, book came out, there was an author, or uh, excuse me, an editor from a, another magazine, which he didn't name names, uh, but essentially the other editor was kind of like, you know, oh, well, hey, congratulations on, you know, you know, basically doing the one thing that you're now going to disappear for forever. <laughs> kind of alluding huh. that, you know, um, a, a magazine journalist can only have one book and then you pretty much disappear into obscurity. So I think this is kind of like one of those, um, yeah, I... Uh, and maybe Chris is kind of uh, uh, you know get getting back at you kind of a thing. It's I don't know. Maybe I read it a little bit too much, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny because he was talking about how like well we'll, we'll see.
0: <laughs> well, I think of all people to to say that to Chris is just sort of silly. I mean the man is as right. prolific as anyone I've ever seen. You know, so he's certainly got numerous books already out there and probably a whole lot more to come <laughs> as right. he goes through his journey so
1: well you know in, in the in the words of dave knops you know he is the oprah of woodworking
0: mm-hmm. so let's not
1: forget
2: that i <laughs> miss modern woodshop dave if you're listening consider rejoining the podcasting world
0: yeah, someone asked me about his show the other day i said yeah i guess he's just you know family life doing his thing and yeah.
1: he's still top of the charts on iTunes. So Dave, just throw us a bone once in a while. Just give it a little five minutes up there. You'll be fine. <laughs>
2: right. And then the last thing I have, it's it's kind of bittersweet, but uh, Andrew Lunn of Eccentric Toolworks fame is leaving the saw making market. Um, he's the guy that produces, um, Chris Rishores has one of his saws. I think he calls it the one saw that he won't let anyone else touch. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, Andrew's stuff is truly creme de la creme, the finest saws on the market. And um, I had actually contacted Andrew a while back about, you know, what was his waiting list like. I was in the market for a dovetail saw. I didn't really need a dovetail saw. I needed a very specialized saw for um, cutting thinner parts. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, it might be fun to kind of splurge because I knew that Andrew's waiting list is like eight or nine months long. And it's like, okay, well, I can set aside, you know, 100 bucks a month and buy this because his (laughs) saws are like 400 bucks. And, you know, at the time he told me, I think it was like over a year waiting list. And he said, you know, no money down, but I'll put your name on a list. And when it comes around again, you can say, I want the saw or I don't want the saw. No skin off my nose. I'll just, you know, move you out and move on to the next person on the list. I was like, OK, well, I got an email from him as a as a quote customer, I guess, saying that, he is not going to make saws anymore, and it was um, it was a very upbeat message saying, you know, I, I kind of have just lost my my steam, I think he put it, or his just his passion for making saws, which I guess he just got burnt out a little bit. I mean, after being Schwarzed, uh, I think he's been working <laughs> his butt off making <laughs> these saws, which is such a cool thing to say considering. I mean, this is a boutique saw he's making, and he can't keep up with the orders, which is pretty dang cool. I'll talk about a hand tool renaissance. Yeah. Right. So he, I, I he hasn't really made any, any, um, statements about what he's going to do. He says he won't be disappearing. He'll be doing something else. Um, Chris posted a blog post about it. Um, and I think, you know, Chris is a good friend of his, so he obviously knows more about it than I do, but seemed to intimate that there might be some tool making coming out in the future, but I think it's something we need to pay attention to. Right. But, you know, I hate. I would hate to think, and I hope that it's not a matter of like recession driving amount of business. I don't think it was that at all. Um, now I just I reading a business.
0: I'm reading a blog post now. It definitely seems related to you know. In order to make these things as well as I do, I need to have a passion for it. And I'm just losing, yeah. like you said, he's losing steam. He just can't continue to put this kind of uh, you know work into every single saw that he makes. He's just uh, burning a candle at both ends. It sounds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You know, and one thing I, I saw there, I, I think it was in the article that that Chris had posted up there, something about um, Ed Ed pa- Palak. Oh, man. Ed, I'm uh-huh. sorry. I totally messed up here. But the owner of Medallion Toolworks. Yeah. <laughs> just say that. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, I, I've had a chance to talk with Ed several times when working in America. and a Really great guy. You know, I have a few of those moments where you just sit there and, yeah, hi. How's it going? Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, you know, But he's a really <laughs> nice guy and makes some beautiful tools. And so I think um, I know that Andrew had talked about, you know, Pushing uh, as much work towards Ed as possible, and taking some of his clients. And I can tell you from the the Medallion Toolworks saws that I, I had a chance to just hold, and uh, I think Ed let me play with one of them, if I remember right. They're amazing saws. So definitely, nobody's going to be losing out one bit. You know, you know, if they choose to follow through on uh andrew's recommendation to go with ed but what i do want to say is i um i had a chance to to, to use one of uh, andrew's saws ron Brees actually had bought one and it was so funny because it was like he was so giddy about it i mean he was just like look at this he was so excited i like, ah, got all wrapped up in it and it was insane how smooth of a cut it was it was it was literally a hot knife through butter, hmm. and that was on, you know, some some of the hardwood that, that Ron would typically have on his bench, like, you know, like that flame birch and some god-awful maple from who knows where that probably would eat most saws up, and Andrew's just cut right through it, so, yeah, that's definitely... It's going to be interesting with him out, out of the market, but definitely. Well, moving you know, over. it's not
2: like there aren't alternatives. I mean, I, right. of course, when I contacted Andrew, uh, Mark Carell at Bad X Toolworks wasn't making a dovetail saw yet. Now he's got like uh, three different models of dovetail saws. Right. You and, know, what's funny is watching him do stuff on Facebook <laughs> and no
1: single mission coming off. <laughs> That's great.
0: I think well, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing, though, if you think about it, that we're in a time where, you know, hand tools are really enjoying enough of a renaissance that numerous individuals, can become you know well known and actually you know do very well in the tool making industry at a time when you know who's what other industry are people actually making tools by hand? Right. Yeah. You know I mean everything is popped out of a factory and trying to make it as cheap as possible and you could see why you could see this going in this direction in in the area of woodworking but I'm just amazed that what these guys are doing is even viable. Yeah, And in yeah. fact, enough, this guy's getting enough business that he can't keep up with it. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. Is and it- as
2: I understand it correctly with bad Axe, um, Mark's wife is actually, I think she's quitting her job in order to handle like the back office side of things. Cause bad Axe has gotten so busy now that essentially he's taking on another employee. Granted it's his wife, but, um, it, you know, <laughs> Gosh, that'd be great. I'd love it if my wife could quit her job and handle the, the marketing and the business side of the Hand Tool School. That'd be sweet. sweet. <laughs> I could just go in the shop and film. But I think I had this conversation. Obviously, I'm a Bad Axe Tool Works fan. Um, he's also a sponsor of the Hand Tool School, But um, so I'm a little biased. But I had a conversation with Mark about this, and not only are there multiple options in Hand Tools now, but there's enough options that now it's become about bling. You know I mean? Right. Oh, you totally. Andrew's yeah. saws are are awesome and they cut really well. But you know what? Mark's saws are awesome and they cut really well. Lee Nielsen's saws cut really well. Lee Valley's saws cut really well. It's about the bling at this point. So you then know? is
0: this, I mean isn't this, uh, in, a, in a way, doesn't this kind of fly in the face of what most Neanderthal woodworkers have held on their <laughs> shoulder as the reason why we do this is getting back to the core of woodworking and now here we are have you know hand tool guys just as bad as every festool crazy nut yeah. job out there? You know who prides themselves in their their CNC machine and their wide belt sanders. It's all yeah. the same thing, and and you're I mean, just as Ron guilty Breeze as the is rest of us. Stainless
2: steel now, you know. I mean, everybody's it's awesome. We're gonna have titanium planes pretty soon. <laughs>
1: You know, it's kind of funny because this is almost like um, you know how it seems like like when Jesse James of like you know what, well, West Coast Choppers or whatever first came online, people are like, who wants like a custom chopper or something? You you just like go pick up something off the you know, you know the the local bike shop or something. But then suddenly like custom bikes became the the huge huge thing. I mean, there's TV shows dedicated to them. It's all over the place. Tools are becoming like that. I mean, it's kind of funny because another thought I had totally going in another tangent. Man, I haven't done tangents in a while. Oh, <laughs> I'm not I do them all the time. Anyway, so it seems like all the uh, the eccentric saws now are going to become along the lines of, uh, remember when independent uh, independent saws like right. uh, was consumed by Lee Nielsen, but yet when you see an original independent saw, there's almost like that gravitation to, you want to grab it and look at it like, let me see it. Oh my god, you're right. This is an original one, you know. And I bet you that's the way that the eccentric saws are going to be. Is these these last few that have come off, you know, that, that he'll be finishing up, or even the ones that are out there right now, that's going to be like the conversation piece.
0: <laughs> Sounds much. it. Very cool. All right. Well, I've got a little thing here. This is nothing in particular. Like nothing happened. I just think um, people should know about this website. It's called ThisIsCarpentry.com. It's run by Gary Katz and if you're not familiar with Gary, he is like, he's basically like the interior carpentry sort of guru. So I know a lot of us do other things than just building furniture and turning and uh, things along those lines. We actually do house projects and we you know, put up molding and, and casing around doors and whatnot. Uh, so this is a site that's geared more toward that audience and it's really well done. It's like a, uh, essentially an online magazine for the most part with videos and great photographs. Lots of different topics and you just go to the homepage and scroll down and you'll see he covers quite a few things. And he even does, you know, it's woodworking to an extent so there's, um, I think they have a, a tall jig for the table saw on there for cutting raised panels and they go through a bunch of different topics so it's definitely a worthy read and especially if you're doing a lot of home projects and more general carpentry, it might be something you want to take a look at. So it's carpentry.com.
1: Very cool. And the one I have up here is, and I'm going to let my nerd fly out again because I mentioned this last night. Uh, the new Doctor Who is starting up uh, very soon, as we're after we post this. And one thing that got me to thinking about that, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, his uh, uh, flying time machine is called the TARDIS, and it's bigger on the inside. And so is the Studley tool chest. <laughs> and one thing that caught me is uh, my friend uh, Mitch Robertson. I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with him from Furnitude. Oh, yeah. Um I got a link in here. He has his most recent post uh, went up about, I think it was a few days ago. I think it was back on April 11th, if I, if I remember correctly. Anyways, he found a video with uh, Mr. Norm Abram doing a video tour of the Studley tool chest. Apparently, you have to be Norm in order to be allowed to actually open it, maybe take a look at it. And this just happened to catch my eye because obviously, if you've seen pictures of uh, the, the Stanley tool chest, it is obviously larger on the inside compared. Considering how much stuff you could put inside this thing, and I don't know, that was my little nerd tangent. That That's I. It's a had good with one. That.
0: <laughs> it's like a it's like a woodworking clown car, you know. The, it is. <laughs> the tools just keep coming out, and it's impossible for them to actually fit in there. That's one of my favorite episodes in the New Yankee Workshop. I just I used to watch that one. I saved it on my TiVo and watched it all the time.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, in that case, you can have a, a bigger version of the video than uh, uh, Mitch has up on there. But if you don't have access to Mark's TiVo, check this one out.
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> check it out soon because it is a DIY video and you never know how long something like that is going to stay on YouTube right, because it's probably not supposed to be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you guys
2: remember where that is now? I mean, not have to watch the video again, but where is the Studley Tool Chest?
0: Oh, that museum? I don't know is it a museum or a private collection um, I thought it was in a museum but oh. yeah I thought it was
2: in a museum
1: also let's okay, see if I we... hope so but don't, don't quote me because I
0: I don't know for sure <laughs> go It's violence. It. Yeah it's, it's an amazing it. thing though if, if you've never seen it you got to definitely got to take a look It's cool. All right. Now the last thing we'll talk about before we wrap this one up is uh, it's coming from an email that we received from Laird and I thought this was very thought invoking. He emailed me directly but I thought this was better for us to kind of discuss. This is actually, now that I think about it, we were supposed to talk about tax stuff too. So let's let's hit this first and then we'll quickly talk about uh, some of the tax (laughs) stuff which I don't know. It's so taxing. It is taxing. I don't really know how much we're going to have to say about it but Anyway, all right, so Laird says, I've been reading a lot of articles on the web, et cetera, that talk about how difficult it is as a, to be a professional furniture maker and designer. This made me a little depressed being a fairly new hobbyist who, like so many others, would like to be able to make a living at this someday. Looking at the possible bottlenecks of society, scarcity of oil and other natural resources, and the growth of environmental awareness, albeit slowly, it made me wonder if we might be on the cusp of a change from mass-produced disposable items to one of more slightly more sustainable consumption. I consider myself a realist, so I'm certainly not looking at this through rose-colored glasses, but I just don't see how it's possible to continue to consume at the levels we do as the population increases. That makes me wonder if the future, what the future might hold, uh, if it holds a renaissance for craftspeople or at least a small increase in interest. I was curious about your thoughts on the matter. I live in Minnesota and at least anecdotally, there seems to be a burgeoning move. Is that how you pronounce that word? Burgeoning? That's how I would pronounce it. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) It's just not a word I would use, but it's a good one. Uh, Growing. It's a growing movement. This vocabulary lesson brought to you by Wood Talk Online. Uh, Movement towards handcrafted things. Not in the majority of the population, obviously, but it is at least perceptible certainly since I became interested in woodworking anyway. Does there appear to be any increased interest in Arizona or the Southwest that you have noticed? Judging by the popularity of your site and others, I'm pretty sure that this is true of other woodworkers, but I'm referring to the general public. So, good question. I don't even know that we necessarily have a solid answer for something like this. Um, I guess the question would be, do you guys notice in your areas that there is more viability for people making handcrafted items. Are you seeing, you know, more people advertising that type of thing? Is or is it something you haven't even really picked up on on a local level? You know, Ooh. it's
2: tough, um, and I think he alludes to it here. Is at least since he became involved in woodworking, he's seeing it more. It's one of those things where when you start paying attention to something, you see it more.
0: Like when you buy so, a, a certain car and now everybody we, seems to drive one. Right. Now everybody drives yeah. it in the
2: same color. Yeah. And I I would say yes. I do see that there's there is a movement towards this. More people concerned on not only, you know, less disposable, but just finer made things. But at the same time, I'm really in tune to that market now, too. So I, I you know, I don't know. It could have always been there. In my neighborhood, certainly it it's always been been there because, you know, Philadelphia and Boston and Baltimore and, and Richmond, they're all major woodworking centers in the colonial period. So it's always been an, an area for that. Um, I would love to say yes.
0: And I, I think so. But our perspectives, like you're saying, are heavily skewed. So it's almost yeah. impossible for us to say what the general you know, public Walmart is Walmart is
2: still the world's largest retailer. So right.
0: somebody's buying
2: junk. A lot of hey. somebodies are buying junk. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm the same way. I, I really really want to say yes, and I again it's because my perspective is so skewed by the, the the little world that I have myself go into. I mean, the majority of the websites I visit are all crafts person oriented in some way or another. Uh, conversations that I have, imagine this, I kind of direct them towards what I want to talk about, and so uh, that's how we kind of you know when I, when I talk with other individuals, you know, things kind of go in that direction, but I, I'm I'm going to take a stab at this because a lot of our friends, my wife kind of needles me once in a while to pull back on the podcast conversation. Apparently it's not very cool. Sometimes uh, I can't imagine <laughs> that, but the, the individuals I do talk with when I mention you know, that I am a woodworker um, and I do custom pieces, uh, you know, for, for clients paying clients, preferably um, there's almost, <laughs> there, there's that ignorance almost kind of like, well, Again, a lot of it goes to the pricing, but it's either Ikea or something like like around us. It's like an art van, which is this big furniture thing. Uh, So the notion of custom pieces and people building custom pieces is so foreign. And it's typically the idea is it's it's for those people way over there that I never have a conversation with is what I get from a lot of the people that I have talked with. Where I happen to throw out that I'm a I'm a custom woodworker. Don't tell my wife told, I told you that, well, and that's that's kind of what I get.
0: Yeah, and I and I've seen a lot of along the lines of what you're saying, where a lot of folks um, they they find out that you do this stuff, and then they have an idea for something they want you to build, but then when they find out it's actually going to cost more than what right. they could get with an equivalent thing in a furniture store, all of a sudden it's like, wait, I don't understand. You know, they they think that as opposed to you being a custom craftsman, excuse me, you are doing it yourself you know so it's sort of like the DIY version and as we know DIY is you know in most cases the reason we do it is because it's cheaper so they have it in their head that if they're going to someone who's doing it themselves in their garage shop that it must be cheaper than what I could buy at you know any retailer uh, that's out there so uh, you know I I still I don't know that I've noticed a massive improvement and I, I admittedly am a little bit out of touch with the the local you know furniture purchasing scene since I don't really market to that group of people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I think we're just far too skewed to be able to say what the general populace is doing. The real question is, how many of us who start off as hobbyists and then turn pro, how many are having success? You know, so folks who are relatively new, that would be where we would find our answer. Talk to people like uh, like Boas. I don't know how long he's been doing it on a professional level, but I know he is now. And I don't think that that's his only job, but I think he is doing a significant amount of work for clients. Uh, right. Kaleo, you know, fr- people who are friends of ours, you know, Adam, you know, people like who are into the business side of this. I wonder if they're seeing more customers, or if it's becoming easier to to get business from people now.
1: This might be a great conversation to head on over to Woodchat, which is not happening tonight. No, so, it's uh- tomorrow.
0: <laughs> is it? Is it every Wednesday? Is I it Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Yeah, it's usually on Wednesday, Wednesdays. So yeah, Wednesday def- at 9
1: p.m. Eastern time.
0: Good call, man. That's a good one if you have questions about that. And I think you you can find uh, folks like Kaleo and uh, and Adam and a bunch of actually that wood chat is mostly surrounding folks who are into this for money. You know, doing this as pros. So right. those be the people to ask because I don't really I don't really know for sure. But let's let's hope so because you, I think he's absolutely right. The the sort of consumerism and this constant consumption that we have. You know the problem is we've got a really tough economy right now, and if someone Mm -hmm. needs a new coffee table and they can get one for a hundred bucks at Walmart, that will work. Or they spend you know a thousand bucks at you know Matt's Woodworking uh, Depot. It's like (laughs) it's it's kind of an easy choice. You know it's a no-brainer. They're going to go to Walmart and they're going to pick up this you know thing that's going to work for them. Right, and then I'm going to drive past their
2: house and taunt them. Right. I mean, it's just an entirely different market. I it mean, is the people that buy custom furniture are people that don't think about how much it costs. Frankly, yeah, right.
0: they're people who um, have money and, and are. They're probably. not us. They're people who <laughs> they're aren't not being. Are uh, the people we hang out with for peop- that matter. People so. who aren't being hurt by the current economy. Apparently, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just not a cheap thing.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Absolutely. All
0: right. Well, speaking of money and the economy, it is uh, nearing April fifteenth, which is. Not only my birthday, the second most important thing that happens that day is that it's uh, tax day. So I just went to get my taxes done, and it hurt. But I wanted <laughs> to, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, not really to give advice because I don't think any of us are truly in a position or even want to be liable for, for giving advice on stuff like this, but... Uh,
1: Please so, enter legal disclaimer now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but
0: but to talk a little bit about what we do in terms of taxes and and sort of deducting and if we make a profit, and I don't think anyone who, you know, in terms of the government is going to be listening, so if we don't aren't, aren't doing things properly, I don't know that it's that big of a deal, but I thought it would be neat to, to look at our individual situations and uh, talk about how we handle things like, um, you know, purchasing materials. You know, do do you make enough money with your woodworking to justify um, treating it as a income? You know, and actually logging your expenses and things like that. Do you do you even have a business? So let's let's start there, um, Matt. I don't I I probably already know the answer to this question. I don't think you have a business uh, per se that that's involving your woodworking, correct?
1: Right. No, mine is still pretty much considered hobby income. And that's one thing that I think I never really paid close attention to that until um, my wife's business got to the point where uh, I think it was a legal liability for me trying to do anything with the taxes like I had up till that point. So we went to an accountant. And that was actually one of my first questions because that first year I had done several builds for people and I, I, I definitely made enough money to um, to afford some some nice pieces of equipment, do, You could know, do a few things, take a few classes. And uh, if I hadn't done those projects, I probably wouldn't have purchased those things and taken those classes. Uh, and so that was one of my first questions to them is, is there a point where as a hobbyist you need to maybe look at you know, paying income tax on, on this income. And it was obvious the amount that I did make was still below that. But at the same time, though, I think once you start making several thousand dollars, maybe on a regular basis as a quote unquote hobbyist, um, you might want to take that into consideration and really keep close account of the the income coming in from that because you, you you may not have a business in this in, in the sense that you have you know um, uh, uh, like an LLC or anything like that. But if you're suddenly having this this cash flow coming in, um, amazingly the, the tax people will look at that and go, "Huh."
0: <laughs> you can start to get into <laughs> hot water. I think it, yeah. it, it doesn't really take that much money for you to get to the point that you really do need to start recognizing that income, right. a, and not sweeping it under the rug.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so that was that was a big eye opener. But luckily, that year, it, it definitely I was I was below the threshold that our accountant felt that I need to worry about it. And I I think I've managed to come below that, which is not what I want to do. But apparently, I am doing that. I was going
0: to say it's it's good <laughs> and bad at the same time. It's like simpler, <laughs> right. but you, you, congratulations, you, have... you made a penny more than last year. <laughs> yes, now give it to us. All right. <laughs> so, Shannon, how about how about your situation?
2: Uh, yes, I am. Uh, Rogers Fine Woodworking is the, is an actual, um, S corp. And, um, the hand tool school and the Renaissance Woodworker all roll under that. Um, you know, in the last year I didn't, well, that's not true. I made one commission, um, for a client previous years. I, I was doing, you know, more than that. And that's why I started Rogers Fine Woodworking was for that basis. Right. It quickly became almost like you did, Mark, kind of became something else. and it wasn't, I was making some income from things like AdSense and stuff like that, but it was more of a tax write-off than anything else. Sure, yeah. Well, um, I know it was, was a gonna... little bit of a shelter, and I was able to write off things like hosting fees. And and I ended up keeping track of equipment expenses, material expenses, and using that all as a business write-off. Um, and that was that worked out okay. I mean, it, there's only so much you can write off when you're not making that much money. Um, right. You know, and then you start getting into things like, Technically, it was a loss because I spent this much and only made this much. And <laughs> and um, Matt, similar to like what you just said, I just consulted with my accountant, and he's like, "Well, this year we can just pretend that didn't exist because there just wasn't <laughs> anything enough to report." Um, starting in October of last year, when I officially launched the Hand Tool School, it became a whole different game. And um, you know, now I, there will be a profit turned. This this uh, well, yeah. Uh, for 2010, because obviously the majority of my enrollments in the school happened in the last three months of the year.
0: Right.
2: Um, even though I've got substantial more enrollments so far this year, uh, I'm not worried about that yet. So uh, um, we're going to see. I actually have my appointment with the accountant um, tomorrow.
0: Nice. Oh,
2: well, congratulations good. and congratulations. And good luck with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's really interesting now because – now I, I work W-2 for a lumber company and, um, you know, the Jay Gibson McElveen Lumber Company sponsored, is sponsoring the final build for the hand tool school. In other words, I got my wood from them and mm-hmm. I didn't pay anything for it. Um, and I'll be, you know, promoting them and all that stuff through that. And granted, I work for them at the same time, but now I might be in the situation where I, I won't be buying material anymore. Uh, so I, I lose that write off. So we'll see what happens.
0: Right. I don't know. So, then basically, I mean, for for folks who are getting into this and they are doing a little bit of selling on the side, um, you know, there is going to be a point where it will be, although it's a little bit more paperwork, it's probably worth it because now you can start to count your purchases as deductions. Yeah, trips
2: to woodworking in America, classes, all that stuff is not deductible.
0: Yeah, and I mean if you start to actually, and this is again not giving business advice but just saying what's worked for us, you know, you get to a point where if you do have a business and you could start to actually deduct part of your electricity, you know, based on how much the business is potentially using. I can't. You cannot do that?
2: No, it's the hand tool school I'm not allowed
0: to. Oh, that's right. You don't use electricity. <laughs> You've got somebody on a little you got a little gilligan on a bike just to keep just to keep the light bulb going. Just go out, turn on the garden
1: hose and have your little wheel alongside of it.
0: <laughs> that's right. He's got just a big old
2: wheelhouse. Uh, we might we might get to an INS issue with the guy powering the bike. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Um, you know, I'm actually very similar to what to what you are, Shannon. I've got an S Corp and it's you know, because I started as a furniture. Uh, business and it just transitioned into the Wood Whisperer. It's still, uh, we we changed the name a while back from officially from uh, Markswood Creations, which was a LLC to uh, the Wood Whisperer as a corporation. So um, pretty much anything woodworking related, anything that I can, you know, even come close to saying is woodworking related winds up being paid for by the company. And, you know, it's a viable business. So it's at the point where that's a much more financially smart, safe, and uh, proper way for me to, to handle all my stuff, but um, right. I'd be interested to hear some feedback from folks who are more more in Matt's situation, where you have you know you've got a day job and you do a few jobs here and there, and it just kind of depends on what number you hit at the end of the year uh, to to see how your tax person uh, what they recommend you do, and and where is that threshold where it right. actually starts to make sense to to call this a business or to start. And I don't want to say a sole proprietorship because I know that's uh, a lot of people recommend against that. But uh, the point where you should really start to recognize this as a money-making venture,
1: right? right. You know, and, and there's one thing that comes up, and I and I've done this in the past. Uh, d- depending on who the person is, uh, but there's that whole trade issue. You know, are you trading services for yeah. this and for that? And that one. Um, and my my accountant again has said you know don't worry about it you're not at a point where you really need to be concerned about it and then I started thinking yeah um you no know, where did you get your degree from and uh, what's the what what's the uh, statutes limitations on these just in case uh, you know I just want to make i just want to cover myself just in case because there there have been a few projects that I have done that have been. In a trade situation, so that's one of those. I think it comes to a dollar value. I know. I again, I haven't hit a point where I've needed to be concerned about it. But if you did it on a regular enough basis, uh, that could be something else you
2: might want to think about. Sure. I think the key is get an accountant. Well, yeah. well, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> they're a licensed accountant, and basically, if something goes wrong, they're liable and you're
0: not. So, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, everybody's got different regulations, you know, state and local, and even, even just uh, recognizing that you operate a business out of your home can be really problematic depending on where yeah. you live. Um, so, yeah, just and sometimes it is better left alone. You know. Right.
1: And, you know, since starting the starting Matt's Basement Workshop, there's a few things that for the show is pretty much almost separate from what I do for uh, uh, clients that are are things that aren't featured on the show. We, that's a whole other can of worms that you can get into. Yeah. But when it comes to just just the build itself for the quote unquote Matt's Basement Workshop. Um, yeah, that one. Like I said, that's
0: luckily all hobby money. So there you go. Fun money. So- Fun, Fun money. money. All right, well I think that just about does it. This, uh, so much for a short episode. We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get better at that. Just, just to kind of let people know what we're aiming to do here, and, and hopefully we'll hit that goal, is to have, uh, we're going to try for three shows a month approximately, and basically two shows will be like this, pre, uh, sort of pre-recorded and then released, not recorded live. Uh, and we'll keep it rather simple. It'll be the standard format of what's on the bench and all the articles and blog posts and stuff that we find. We can share that with you. And then once a month we want to have the live show. And we're going to make a little bit more of a big deal about the live show. And this way we'll have more calls. uh, We can try to take more live calls, have some voicemails, emails, and it's more about your questions on that third show just to kind of add a little spice to the mix. And hopefully that'll be a way for us to continually pop these shows out and give you a steady stream of content. And uh, also not, um, you know, be too much work for us that we, we can't actually keep up with the pace. Right. Absolutely. So we're hoping.
1: Bingo. Yeah. That way. Yeah. Like we said, get, get those questions in for when the, the live show comes up. So if you ask us a question and you don't hear hear that question answered in, uh, you know, one of the, the two pre-recorded ones. Well, maybe we'll be nice enough to throw it in the live one because it's all about you, the audience. This mm-hmm. is what we live for. Sort of. <laughs> Okay, not
0: really. <laughs> but anyways, kind sort of. Kinda.
1: Speaking of audience, I haven't heard from Roberto in a while. What's Roberto, going with that? what's up with that, yo? All
0: right, so well. anyway,
1: so all right, so should we give him the contact information? I, I think so. Can we remind him? Yes. All right. Absolutely. Well. Here we go. If you want to email us because of something you heard today or something you want to hear, contact us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Of course, you can call and leave us a voicemail over at 623-242-5180. Skype us at woodtalkonline. Online. Find us over at Twitter as Renaissance Woodworker at Wood Whisperer or at MBW Podcast. Look for us on Facebook. And of course, find us over at woodtalkonline.com. And if you can't remember if any of the stuff I just said, don't worry about it. We'll have it in the show notes to make it that much easier for you to get a hold of us. Cool. So with that said, I think we should shut this one down and we'll talk about these people off air.
0: Yeah, let's do that. Uh, yeah, Alrighty. let's just say uh, happy and safe woodworking and hopefully... Everybody's getting out in their shop because the weather is getting better and warmer, and uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit more buzz and activity going with the show.
2: Absolutely. And let me say a very happy birthday to both of my co-hosts. A little bit oh, early. Thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you. I uh, thank you. I feel bad that we totally missed Shannon's birthday, but
2: yeah, that's all right. I'll be scarred for a while, but but you got to
0: You got to like we're you know we're dudes here, so you, you got to come out and say it. Otherwise, we just don't know about it. Right. <laughs> no. yeah. Matt, yeah. Matt and I come out of the gates going, "Hey, it's my birthday! It's my birthday! What'd you get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly so all right thanks for listening everybody uh we don't have to thank the chat room tonight so that's a little bit different for us but hopefully you enjoy the show and we'll have more for you soon so uh toodaloo see ya Bye.